to actions antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. One piece of advice we commonly hear is focus on one thing, do only one thing and get really good at it. And that does work for a lot of people. And I want to make sure I iterate to anyone in my audience listening that if anyone is really focused on one thing and having a really successful career, really successful life, I am truly happy for you. But unfortunately, this advice, like a lot of other common pieces of advice, doesn't necessarily serve everyone very well. There are a lot of people out there that are multifaceted and that would prefer to kind of dip their toes or try out many different things and be in many different places over the course of their lives. Today's guest, Linda Sue Shirkley, has actually been doing this for a number of years, has been trying out a lot of different things and oftentimes been taking part in two, three, or even more endeavors at once. Linda Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. Let's start out from the very beginning. What were the first endeavors that you took part in? The first one? Oh, geez. Um, well, <laughs> in high school, I actually was on a fashion board that was an advisory board that a department store did for fashion for high school. Hmm, nice. During that time, a local man decided to start a magazine all published and edited and written by high school students. So they came in to the fashion board one day and said, would anybody be interested in being the fashion editor? And I said, yeah, I will. <laughs> I have no idea why, but I did. So I went to an interview and they selected me. And so then I was the fashion editor of this magazine, all put out by teenagers. And I was 14, I think, at the time, and set up fashion shoots and hired the models and picked out the clothes and helped find the locations and wrote the pieces on the fashion. The magazine was called Tempo. It didn't last mm -hmm. very long. I think we did it for less than a year. That's interesting. And that actually reminds me of something that we're starting to see pretty commonly in the younger generation is teenagers that aren't necessarily just going about going to school, living out their social lives are actually getting involved in trying to build things. I know a lot of teenagers today are really interested in building followers on our many social media channels or starting their own business as a record interest in that. So it seems like you were quite a bit ahead of your time. Was fashion something that you were specifically interested in from a young age, or was it the writing and the editing that drew you in there? I was always interested in fashion and interiors and in animals. I always wanted to either be a fashion designer, an interior designer, or a marine zoologist. Oh, wow. Marine zoologist. Nice. Where did you go from there? Because eventually you started pursuing multiple avenues and weren't necessarily tied down to say, just pick one job and do that one thing. Yeah. So throughout this whole time, when I was the fashion editor, I was also an ice skater. I was a competitive figure skater. Oh, nice. So I continued figure skating and then I got a scholarship then to college and my scholarship was to the University of Colorado and I wanted to pursue fashion designer, interior design or marine zoology and they didn't have any of those. And so I thought, well, I'll do art. That was okay. like the closest. So I got my bachelor of fine arts degree and in the process of that, they were starting a photography department. So I ended up majoring in photography. So my actual degree is Bachelor of Fine Arts in Design because the photography was in the design department. 
And then I work in the photography field. That interested me because I had worked closely with the photographer, of course, in the mm-hmm. magazine and stuff. So I ended up getting my degree. And then when I graduated, I worked for him, actually, the photographer that I met when I was 14. <laughs> um, I worked wow. for him when I graduated from college. And I still work with him now, which is kind of nice. Fun. And then I was coaching skating by that time. So I kept coaching and then worked, did the photography stuff part-time for him. And then do you yeah. want to go on? <laughs> Well, so you coached skating for quite some time, and Uh you also continued to pursue photography. And this went on beyond college when most people kind of settle into just one job. Were you ever kind of conscious of this idea that you didn't want to do just one job like you saw so many other people doing? And how did that feel? Was there pressure from other people to say, hey, you know, you need to focus on this one thing? I didn't have any pressure from anybody. My family was always really supportive and my friends always just thought I was a free spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of floating around doing a bunch of different stuff. So no, later when I started my first design business, my partner thought I should focus on only one thing. And I was still coaching skating at that point. So she was kind of upset that I didn't want to focus. I, I can't. I knew from the time I was a little kid and I think Skating was interesting because when you're a skater, it takes so much time, but you still have to go to school and you still have to do whatever else you do in your life. I mean, a lot of skaters are piano players or something like Mm -hmm. that. So most skaters tend to be able to do a lot of different. One of the things that I think can tend to be a little bit of a deterrent in people pursuing their passion, say on top of a full-time job or pursuing multiple things is how much of a time commitment some things can be. And as you know, most of the most worthwhile things in life aren't quick wins, aren't something you just kind of like snap your fingers or you fill out one form and you're done. You have to work toward it. You have to build something and that's really time consuming. So would you say that your experience early in life got you kind of accustomed to the lifestyle of having multiple time-consuming endeavors and juggling them. Oh, for sure. Definitely. What would you say to anyone listening right now that's, say, in a full-time job, and maybe even a full-time job that they enjoy, but they still want to pursue something following some other passion they have, and how they can get to that point where you can orient your life in the way where you can actually be successful at both things? I would say, first of all, go for it. And second, I would have to say relationships suffer more than anything else. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I think it's hard to find somebody else that understands that. The other thing is time management, Mm -hmm. for sure. I tend to do things pretty quickly. People have different ways of doing things. And I tend to think quickly and do things quickly. And I don't overthink. I tend to go with my gut. Like at mm-hmm. first, you know, I get like an idea for a design or a fabric or color or whatever. And I don't overthink it. I don't just keep going, oh, well, maybe I could find something better. Fine. But I don't just keep I don't yeah. guess it, the old beating the dead horse. You know, you just keep. People oftentimes will come up with ways of like evaluating their lives and saying, how am I wasting time? What's a good use of my time? What's a bad use of my time? And Oftentimes, like nowadays, you hear scrolling through social media, you'll hear TV, you'll hear 
all these things. People say, okay, these things are a waste of time. One of the things of all those things on the list that I actually personally struggle with a lot, and I suspect a lot of people, especially people who have pursued advanced education, struggle with is this idea of overthinking and becoming indecisive. And that could actually end up wasting a lot of good time and missing out on a lot of really good opportunities. I still have not bought any cryptocurrency because I've been overthinking it and look at the opportunity I've missed, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they just go over and over and over it. And at some point, come on, just do it. You know, the old Nike thing, just do it. Definitely. Is there any specific advice or thought processes that someone who say is struggling with overthinking things and not kind of pulling the trigger? Oh, uh, I think just do it really. I mean, I think faith, you have to leap. You Mm -hmm. have to step off of the cliff and trust that you're going to be okay. And if you're not, well, you climb back up the mountain and do it again. (laughs) You have to be risk tolerant, I guess. I think that, I mean, when I started my first interior design business, I was a single mother and had like 76 cents in the bank. And I (laughs) thought, oh, let's start a business. I had no capital, nothing to do it with. And was it a struggle? Yeah, it was a real struggle. So I think you have to be ready for struggle. You have to be ready for long hours. You have to realize if it's your own business, it's not something that you do. And at night you can put it to bed. I think about something before I go to sleep at night, I'll dream the solution to a design problem or something, and I'll wake up with it in the morning. So, I mean, it isn't a nine to five job. It's so interesting because I have read so many things that have said before starting your business, before quitting your job and starting a business on your own, you should have 12 to 18 months worth of finance ready to go. I I can't even begin to tell you how many times I have read that exact piece of advice. And this story seems to fly right in the face of it. Yeah, it does. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm sure for most people, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's probably something you should do. I (laughs) did not heed that advice. (laughs) And I just trusted you know, yeah. and I had faith that it would work out. I don't want to tell people to do something that's totally irresponsible. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I was a single mother. I started the business. I still was teaching skating. So I still had some income, mm-hmm. but I was starting to step away from that. I did have family. My parents were wonderful. So if I had to borrow enough money to, in the process of that whole thing, I also bought a house, which was really fun. But anyway. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> my old house and bought a new house and I didn't have enough money to get the mortgage and my parents wanted to co-sign for me because they co-signed on the first house and I said no I was going to do it myself and so I was very stubborn and I did finally find a lender but I paid a real major premium for it which was <laughs> silly but I did it took me five refinances to get it reasonable but it's almost paid off now <laughs> so that is um, awesome and yeah so when you started your business with only 76 cents, I think is what you said, what was going through your head? Like, was there an amount of fear or was there kind of more excitement, more passion that's fueling your desires? I think the excitement and the passion. And again, I'm not afraid. I started calling people that I knew 
and said, hey, I'm starting this design business or whatever. And this one guy, and it, I was thinking, well, the name of our company was Ferment Only. So our theory was we would focus on doing design for bachelors. Now, this was in 1986. I mm-hmm. think it would fly now. It was a little ahead of its time back then, I think. Anyway, so I called bachelors that I knew, and I called this one guy, and he goes, oh, that sounds really interesting. What are you going to do for an office? And I said, I don't know. We haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> and he said, well, I have an empty office. If you want to come use it, you're welcome to it. I went, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I talked to my partner. We went and used his office. We officed with him for three years. We even moved to a new space with him, and we never pay rent. He let us use the office because he was paying anyway. There's things like that that work out sometimes if you trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It takes a little bit of trust. And what I wonder is also is a component of it, believing in yourself because self-doubt, I feel like could really get in the way of someone say, really taking the plunge. And even if they have that 12 to 18 months, but they say, I'm going to be investing a lot of time because nothing is, as you said, it's not a nine to five, it's 24 seven. Nothing is easy. It's not like, oh, I went to this restaurant and it was a bad meal and I just move on and never go there again it's like literally you're putting a lot of time into it as well. So you have to have some amount of self-trust. Oh, for sure. You have to have a lot of trust. And willing to, I mean, I did, like I said, I'm kind of a tree spirit. I don't have real traditional things. I've never had cable TV. Never. I don't pay for things that I don't think that I'm going to use or don't want. Why would I pay for 500 channels? And they raise the price every month. So I would rather travel. I love to travel. So there's things like that. That do you really need the latte every day? I mean, that's one example people use. Oh, yeah. But do you really need the cable TV? Now there's options. The Hulu and Roku. I don't know. Whatever all those things are. But anyway. Netflix. You know, there's options now that didn't exist back then. But do you really need that stuff or do you just want it? Those are a lot of decisions that people that want to do something outside the box need to think about. I oftentimes look at that myself and I wonder, I think the phrase a lot of people use is keeping up with the Joneses and the idea of you're just doing things, whether it be for appearance or for just out of like defaulting. Everyone else sets up their house like this. Everyone else has an open concept right now, or as opposed to kind of taking a deep breath and saying, is this serving me? Is this what I want? Do I want to spend money on this? And that's actually a frustration I had from a really young age. When I was a teenager, for some reason, it was quite popular for people to buy jeans at a store at the mall that were already ripped. And I would ask myself, why am I going to spend $50 on a pair of jeans that are already ripped? I'll just take something from the Goodwill or take something old I have and play softball in it or something. Yeah, I, that's exactly the kind of thing that I think is um, eating out all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's expensive to eat out. You know? Yeah, I know yet some young people right now that looking at their bank account and going, "God, we have all this money because of COVID. We haven't been doing all this <laughs> stuff, you know." And but I said to them, "You really do all that?" And they go, "I guess so." <laughs> you know, <laughs> now they have this big amount of money in their bank account, and they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. <laughs> That actually reminds me of a discussion that I've been having with quite a few people recently, because as soon as COVID hit, my first thought process was, what's the world going to look like after this is done? I know that's like kind of weird. And I realized to myself that the restaurant industry might take a permanent 10% hit maybe or something like that. 
And I say this knowing that the majority of people are right now thinking, I just want to go right back to 2019. But there are still a significant number of people who are looking and saying, oh, look at these things I started doing during COVID. Like, oh, I learned to cook these 18 new recipes or these nine different meals and I'm enjoying it. And that there are going to be some amounts of permanent changes. And people look at that, especially exactly as you said, how is it that I saved $10,000 over the course of 2020. What was I spending that 10 grand on and was it making me happy? Exactly. It's been great for me, for my business, because I do a lot of kitchen and bath remodel and um, Mm -hmm. people are going, oh, now I'm cooking a whole lot and the kitchen is terrible. I need to redo my kitchen. Or there's three of us trying to work in the dining room table on Zoom and I need a home office or a whole this big open room isn't as cool as I thought it was when I can't get away from my kids' class on Zoom with my <laughs> husband's <laughs> work. It's been interesting. I think we've had to rethink a lot of things. I way. don't think it'll ever be exactly like it was. No way. Oh, for sure. Tell us a bit about your business, how it started, what the focus is. So I did this company with this partner for about 10 years. And then we broke up the partnership and I started my own business. It's called Production and Design because I still do the film production work, although not as much as I used to. But Mm -hmm. when I started in 96, that was maybe a third of my business was that. Now it's maybe 10% or 5% if. But I ended up doing a lot of kitchen and bath remodels. So I always tend to have a kitchen or two or a bath or kitchen and bath or something going all the time. And then regular interior design, carpet choice and furniture and lighting and things like that. It's really fun. And then instead of coaching skating, still when I quit coaching skating, now I teach yoga. I do my yoga and my interior design. So I still can't focus on one thing. It's still not going to work. But that's one thing too that I like about design Mm -hmm. because it's so varied. Every project is different. I'm not in an office nine to five. I knew from the time I was a little kid there was no way I could go to an office nine to five. It just wasn't going to happen. So you couldn't do that. And there's a lot of jobs out there like that, that obviously I think some of the most repetitive jobs are actually going to be going away pretty soon with automation. But even within production and design, it seems like you get to work on a lot of different types of things, a lot of different types of remodels or redesigns. So you said your background is in photography and you also loved marine zoology, marine life, or animals in general, how does that all factor in? Did you ever pursue the animal type of thing, or does that influence the way you run your business, or is that just more like what you like to do when you go out in nature? Yeah, that part never happened. I feel really fortunate that I know a lot of people that get degrees in college and never use anything even remotely related. And, you know, after my bachelor of fine arts, I did go back to school and get my interior design degree before I started the first interior design business. So yeah, I feel fortunate that I've gotten to do what my passion, what I always loved. And no two days are ever the same, which again is part of my, (laughs) I don't like my days to always be the same. You know, no two days are ever the same. You know, one day I'll be at the design center for two or three hours then at a client's and three or four different clients. And I drive a lot, which also is cool because I love to drive and I listen to books on tape when I drive. See, I can't do one thing at a time. I have to to read while I'm driving. I mean, what could be better? 
Is that one of the factors that has kept you going? Because we're talking about 25 years now, it's 2021. You said you started production and design in 1996. Having that variety, is that kind of what maintains your continued passion for the business? Oh, sure. I have not ever had a day when I thought, oh, I don't want to go to work, ever. Wow. I love it. There's so So, few people that say that, so few. I know. Yeah, I love it. And like, for the most part, most of my clients have become friends. So this wonderful cadre of friends that a lot of them started as clients. And it's fun. I mean, I still like it. And That's I, amazing. Know, all my friends are retiring and they're going, when are you going to retire? They go, retire? Why don't you retire? <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that may be really important to point out to my audience and anyone considering going for whatever their endeavor is, is that things take a little while to build up. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. But imagine this, you have 18 months, two years, the amount of time it really, you're going to struggle. You're really going to be like trying to gain traction, trying to build something, but 18 months to two years in comparison to 25 years of having never said, I do not want to go to work today, having never dreaded it, having never had that Sunday night, oh my God, Monday's coming. I'm getting depressed. I need to self-medicate or do whatever it is people do, having never had to do that for 25 years, makes that 18 months to 24 months of time you spend struggling and building seem relatively small in that picture. Oh, yeah. And I did my other design business 10 years before that. So I've been doing design for 30 some years. Yeah, 35 years. And I think the other thing I would also suggest is that Remember to not make it always about yourself. Giving back is really important. And it's amazing if you find something that you're passionate about in terms of giving back, often that will help your business. Like I'm in Rotary, I'm Rotarian, and my first clients all came from my Rotary Club because you're encouraged to support each other, though you don't advertise your business. You also tend to look for people when you're doing business with them, you look for people that have common values. So if you are a person that enjoys service or wants to give back, find the animal shelter or whatever and tell them what you do. Tell them what you Mm -hmm. do in your job. And if they can see your passion for your job as well as your passion for whatever service you're doing, why wouldn't they want to hire you? Why wouldn't they want to have you in their life? That's a great thought. And Back up a little bit, just in case anyone in my audience is not familiar, what is the Rotary Club? So Rotary is an international service organization. I've done projects in Nepal and in China. Oh, and wow. I've traveled. I have friends all over the world now because I've gone to Nepal and China. And <laughs> I've been in Nepal too long. Then we do local projects. We're doing some projects now for a not-for-profit called Project Worthmore, which is mm-hmm. a fabulous project. So there's all sorts of wonderful local projects. I was a coordinator for Nine Health Fair for 10 years. This last year, they started not doing affairs anymore, but now they're doing vaccinations. I haven't gotten involved with the vaccination part, but I coordinated the health fair, the Nine Health Fair at CEC for 10 years. There's lots of local things you can do, and then all the international stuff is just a perk as far as I'm concerned. If you're really looking out for it, there seems to be a pretty unlimited opportunity for service or giving back. And one of the things that 
comes into my head is just the idea that at any given time, if you care about something, just start doing it. And usually people are looking for either a community or money. For example, in the long run, we all need community and we all need the resources by which to live. But oftentimes one of the things we do is we're instantly thinking about how to monetize something, right? As opposed to saying like, okay, well, you know, if you start doing what you care about, eventually the people will follow or eventually the money will follow, eventually the livelihood will follow. That's very different than the standard way a lot of people looking at it because a lot of people look at it and especially in like the standard job world, you look at it, you're like, I worked an hour, I get $50. I worked another hour, I get $50. Whereas entrepreneurship in general, service idea in particular is a very different mindset in a way. Yeah, definitely. I think when you're passionate about something and you devote the time to it, the money will follow. It just will. I think if you're concentrated on the money, as opposed to the service you're providing, whether that's design work or computer consulting or whatever, if you're focused on how can I help this person, how can I be of service to this person, the money's going to follow. If you're thinking constantly about how can I monetize this? Like I'm terrible at keeping track of my time. I -hmm. charge by the hour, right? And I'm terrible at keeping track of my time. But I also know that I'm really good at providing the service to my clients. And I make myself (laughs) concentrate on trying to keep better track of my time and monetizing (laughs) what I'm doing. (laughs) That is my focus. My focus is the service. And then, oh, shoot, yeah, I got to keep better track of my time. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing, but concentrating on monetizing to me is really crass. Well, the interesting thing is that most businesses that people start, anyone that's, say, involved in putting together a startup or putting together a business idea, it seems like there's always some aspect of service involved. Like even if you're just, say, a graphic designer, right? You're still serving your customers, your clients. You're giving them the graphic design. You're designing their webpage. It's almost becomes impossible to completely divorce the idea of making money and the idea of service in that world. For sure. Number one, don't divorce them. Remember that they are married, but that they're sort of at least equal partnerships. I mean, if not, you're giving 100% of yourself for service and then the money is married to that. You're not trying 100% to make money and then the service is Mary, I don't know exactly yeah. how to word it, but to me, you're focusing on the service and then the money follows. It reminds me of anyone that starts anything, including anyone that I'm interviewing on this podcast, you had an initial reason for it. And the initial reason for it usually was not money because there's tons of things. If all you care about is money, there are plenty of jobs that you can just do a quick Google search of what job pays the highest number of right. dollars per hour and then go to whatever... Right. Coursera course you need to go to, to get that degree. If that's all you care about is money, there's a path out there. But I think the vast majority of people that even think about starting their own thing, starting a startup, or even if it's just a side hustle or have some sort of service on their mind, they have some sort of outcome, something they want to provide to humanity. And one of the things it reminds me of is to not kind of get trapped in the idea of trying to make money, trying to make metrics and to periodically just take a deep breath and say, okay, this is why I wanted to do this. 
And this is what I'm in it for, my intrinsic motivation. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think you always have to come back to, okay, why are you doing this? What do you love? Someone asked me one time, they said, you've done so many different things. Is there any common thread to them? Because they seem so diverse. Yeah. And I would have to say the common thread is creating beauty. And beauty within someone, as in terms of yoga, because you're Mm -hmm. really trying to tap into that beauty within you, spiritually and physically and mentally, whatever, creating beauty in your surroundings. For skating, it was performing beauty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think creating beauty would probably be. So anytime that I question or whatever, I always go back to, is it beautiful? You know, is this helping this person be, is it helping the environment be the most beautiful? So that would be the motivation behind Mm -hmm. what you do is always important to keep coming back to that. Yeah. And that actually reminds me of something I tell a lot of people. And I say this having had multiple career coach, life coach people on this podcast. So I feel like I'm stepping on their toes potentially when I say this, but whenever any friend reaches out to me and says, I'm stuck, I'm in a tough place. I want to know what I should do. One of the exercises I tell them to do is to think back to 10 times in the recent past when they've entered a state of flow, that whole, when you're kind of really immersed in what you're doing and find the commonality amongst those 10 events. And they could often be very different. Someone could be like, I was coaching my kids soccer game and I was also leading an investment group. And then you find out the commonality is something like, well, I was actually helping people improve a key area of their lives. And that's my common thread that there often is one to three common threads amongst what a lot of people do, even in things that seem unrelated when you think about them in a more superficial sense. For sure. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. I love that advice. And one other thing I wanted to cover real quick is The idea that popped in my head when you were talking about going out and finding service opportunities and volunteer opportunities coinciding with your talking about how you don't really love watching TV and you never had cable. I think about kind of how you mentioned auditing our money. Is this really worth it? Is it really worth, I think that the thing on Starbucks is if you get a latte every day, you spend like over a thousand dollars by the end of the year, just on that. Does the same thing apply to our time? An hour in service and say you don't make money and say you don't even develop connections, but you probably are going to develop connections is still more valuable than say, if the alternative was just to sit and rewatch or rerun of an old TV show. Is there an aspect of that about how we use our time that we need to like think about the same way we think about how we use our money? Oh, I think so. I mean, for me, it is anyway. I'm not going to say I never watch TV. I love watching series or whatever. So I'll do it for an hour or two on Saturday night or pretty every night while we eat dinner. (laughs) (laughs) So I know people that spend hours playing video games or Mm -hmm. solitaire on the computer. If you do it to wind down, for an hour or 45 minutes or something like that, okay, then that's a good use of your time to mm-hmm. wind down and relax. And if that helps you relax, then fine. If it gets to a point where you're spending five, six hours a day watching old television shows or playing video games or whatever, is that 
a good use of your time. If you could say, oh, yeah, I don't have anything better I can be doing, then fine, do it. But yeah. if you're also thinking, oh, well, I really want to do this business. I really want to start this. I really want to learn to play the piano. I really want to, you know, but you're not yeah. <laughs> because you're doing this other stuff that's not that, then you need to question it. For sure. I do want to iterate that I'm not trying to throw shade on any activity people do to unwind. Like we all need to unwind. We all need to rest. And if watching a comedy show is the way you rest, go ahead, rest. But at some point you have to take stock in all the time. And before we wrap up, I just want to give my audience a chance to get a hold of you. If anyone listening is interested in production and design and or your yoga practice. Yoga, Rotary. I'm happy to talk to people about <laughs> any of the above. The webpage is productionanddesign.com. Is that correct? Right. And it's productionandesign.com. It production. doesn't have two Ds. It's production and. Yeah. Yeah. I production know and design. Weird, and design was taken. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I do know about things being taken. I actually originally thought of calling this podcast The Antidote instead of Actions Antidotes and found out The Antidote was already a podcast. So I do understand having to to look for something very different. So production and design. Yeah. And my email is lindasue at productionandesign.com. Oh, perfect. People, especially the home office is something that's not going away. The consensus around the post-pandemic world is that most people want a hybrid, want a couple days in, a couple days out, and are still going to want that space for their home office and all that other stuff. Definitely. Linda Sue, thank you so much for taking your time and joining us today on Actions Antidotes and sharing an amazing story that inspires anyone out there like myself as well, feels compelled to not drill down on one thing that needs to kind of foster that multifaceted aspect of all of our, our lives. Right. Thank you. I had fun. A good time. <laughs> Thank you to all those listeners out there. And I just want to let you know to stay tuned to Actions Antidotes for more episodes with more interesting people who went out there and took the risk, whether small or big. And sometimes the biggest risk is just putting yourself out there. The first blog I hit submit, for example, that's already a step. So I will be featuring more guests who have come on here and taken that step in some area of their lives. Stay tuned for more. Mm-hmm.